Thank you, Pastor Wei, for those prayers. And good morning, Community Church. It's so great to be with you on this Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday already. Easter is just a week away. You know, Church, I hope you've had time to reflect and ponder this Lent. This Lent journey is important and very necessary. You know, Hong Kong is such a busy place. It's so easy to get caught up with the doing and more doing and the doing and the doing that we forget to take time to slow down, to pause, and to check in. As Pastor Wade said, if you have not visited our virtual stations of the cross, I would, I would highly encourage you to do that. I found it to be a wonderful journey of reflection and of encountering God myself. So I look forward to hearing what hearing more about your journey going through the Stations of the Cross. So we've been on a sermon series called The Seven I Am Statements of Jesus. Last week, Pastor Wade gave a great sermon on the Good Shepherd. And if you missed that, do check that out online. Um, it's on our website. And today, we are looking at I Am the True Vine. I am the true vine, says Jesus. And he said this on Thursday, the day before he died. On that Thursday, Jesus ate his last meal with his disciples. And he washed their feet. And then he taught them many things. He taught them about bearing fruit in relation to himself, the true vine. The Bible passage for this teaching is found in John chapter 15, verses 1 to 17. Let us now hear the word of God. We have Tina Lau who will read portions of this passage for us this morning. Thank you, Tina. Reading from John 15, 1 to 8. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He takes away every branch that does not bear fruit in me. He prunes every branch that bears fruit so that it will bear more fruit. You are clean already because of the word that I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by himself, unless it remains in the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit, because apart from me, you can accomplish nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown out like a branch and dries up, and such branches are gathered up and thrown into the fire and are burned up. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My father is honored by this, that you bear much fruit and show that you are my disciples. John 15, 16-17 You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that remains, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. This I command you, to love one another. Thank you, Tina. Let us pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your good word to us. Indeed, it is a light unto our path. We invite your presence. Well, you have invited us into your presence. But we want to open our hearts and say, Come, God, come to my heart and do what you want to do in my heart. And God, even as I bring your word, help me to do that from the life from your vine. Amen. Church, when we follow Jesus, when we claim to follow Jesus, when we claim to be his disciples, we are meant to bear fruit, good fruit, much good fruit. But what is this fruit? What does it look like? What? What does it taste like? So, you know, I think it's supposed to be like this. I go, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. This is so wonderful. So juicy, so sweet. Can I have more, please? Can I please have more? I think that's supposed to be the effect of the fruit that we bear. So what is this fruit that the Bible speaks of? Over the years, I've heard fruit described in many ways. For some, it's about me and my personal growth, how I'm becoming more loving and more kind and more patient and so on. For others, it's about output and performance, the ministry I've launched, the growth of my ministry, um, the number of people I've won to Christ, the amount of money I've helped to raise, how I've helped the poor, how I fought for justice. But what does Jesus say? What does he consider to be fruit? When Jesus says, I am the true vine, he's con contrasting himself with another vine, which did not bear the fruit that it was supposed to bear. In Psalm 80, we learn that Israel was the vine that God brought out of Egypt and planted in a beautiful land to bear fruit. And the fruit is to reflect God's character in the world, to make His name known in all the earth. But what kind of fruit did Israel produce? Mm. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. The prophet Isaiah tells us, What more can I do for my vineyard beyond what I have already done? When I waited for it to produce edible grapes, why did it produce sour ones instead? And he goes on to say in verse 7, Indeed, Israel is the vineyard of the Lord who commands armies. The people of Judah are the cultivated place in which he took delight. He waited for justice, but look what he got, disobedience. He waited for fairness, but look what he got, cries for help. Those who accumulate houses are as good as dead. Those who also accumulate landed property until there is no land left. And you are the only landowners remaining within the land. You see, church, 
God was looking for the fullness of his life being produced within Israel, his vine. But he could not find any. Instead, he found corruption, injustice, wickedness, poverty, and cries for help. God's vine, Israel, did not produce the fruit that testified to God's character. And so when Jesus says, I am the true vine, he is saying, I am the true reflection of what God is really like. And what is God like? Full of love and compassion, full of grace and truth, full of love and compassion. A light unto darkness and healer of all that is broken. And you know what? The ultimate, ultimate demonstration of what God is like is his stooping down to serve by washing feet, which he did just before he taught them this. And he's laying down of his life for us in sacrificial love. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father, says Jesus in John 14. And Jesus is calling his followers individually and corporately as a church to bear this kind of fruit, to tell the world what God is like, to produce his life in the world, in every area of life, in the city, in the church community, in the workplace, in relationships, in family life, such that when people encounter us, they encounter Jesus. It's like eating their grape. They go, wow, this is amazing. Can I have more, please? Life. This is why measuring fruit in terms of output or performance falls short. We can achieve what we believe to be great metrics or results for God and yet not reflect His character. In fact, so many things have been achieved in the name of God at the expense of people, at the expense of integrity. You know, we may be so impressed by a certain success, but God, Here's the cries for help behind the success. Also, thinking in terms of output and performance, or performance can blind us to the incongruence or the lack of integrity in our lives. We can do great works for God, and this apparent fruit can lead us to believe that we are so fruitful for God. And yet, our character is found wanting in the hidden places of our lives where nobody sees except God and, well, maybe your closest family members like your spouse. Now, my husband, Lance and I, as you know, we are both involved in church ministry, trying to be fruitful for God. When we first came to Hong Kong, we held things somewhat more lightly and our being fruitful looked somewhat different. But over time, we began to find ourselves increasingly consumed by the performance metrics of ministry success. And when times are stressful, we find ourselves thinking, hmm, I'm so tired. I'm so exhausted. You want what? No, I don't have time for that. We get impatient, we get short, and we get snappy with each other. Imagine this, okay? Two pastors working so hard to produce fruit for God, and yet they are going, nya, 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 
hang up at each other at home. You know, we try. You know, we are reminded all the time that what we are to each other is very, very important. It's more important because it is who we are deep down inside. That is our character. And so we try. See, to produce real fruit is to reflect who God is in every way. And it's hard. It requires not only the doing, but also the being. It requires that the outside matches the inside. You know, I just can't pretend to like you or to be nice to you on the outside, but I have to actually love you inside. Hard, right? I mean, who can do that? Maybe you are exhausted already just thinking about that or just thinking about how far you are away from what God would like to see. So is it any wonder then that on the day before Jesus died, he did not give his disciples the program for saving the world. He did not give them the step-by-step guide to fight injustice or the step-by-step guide to feed the poor, or the step-by-step guide to increase the number of members in your ministry, or the step-by-step guide to make more people believe in Jesus, or the step-by-step guide to love and sacrifice for another. Not that those things are not important. But Jesus, Jesus, He knows that you cannot just follow a program. It will not lead to real fruit, or you will burn out trying. Instead, he says, remain in me, abide in me, because apart from me, you can accomplish nothing, nothing, not a bit, nothing. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me bears much fruit. So, what does it take to bear good fruit, to abide, to remain? The first order of business for us is to do that. But you see, the tendency for many of us is to jump straight into production mode, try harder mode. There are many reasons for that. But I think one of the reasons could be that we think we might be removed from the vine if we don't show results. Since in verse 2, we, you know, we see this verse that says, He takes away every branch that does not bear fruit. And nobody wants to be removed. But remember this. Jesus says earlier in John chapter 10, verse 28, that those who follow him will never perish. No one will snatch them from my hand. That those who follow him will never perish. No one will snatch them from my hand. What this verse to here is getting at is someone who was never truly a genuine believer in the first place, like Judas. When Jesus was washing the disciples' feet earlier that evening, he said to them, You are clean already, but not all of you, referring to Judas who would sell him out. And so to us who follow him, to you who follow him, to me who follow him, we follow him imperfectly and clumsily, but we follow him. To us who do that, he says, You are clean already. Not you are perfect already, but you are clean already. And you have the Holy Spirit in you, which means I'm in you and you are in me. John 14, 20. And so your primary duty 
before doing or trying to be anything else is to remain in me. Because if you don't remain in me, how are you going to receive the life-giving nutrients that go from me, the vine, to you, the branches? See, I can't remain in you if you choose not to remain in me. I want to give you all this good stuff, but if you don't want to receive from me, it won't go to you. But when you abide in me, you will find rest and life-giving water will flow through you. Rest. How sweet is the sound of that? Rest. So inviting, right? Rest. Not strive. Rest. I think we all long for that. And Jesus says, when you remain in me, you will experience new life and new freedom through my Father's pruning at rest. My Father's pruning is never in judgment or condemnation. It can hurt sometimes. It might even make you feel uncomfortable. But my Father's pruning is always restorative, always healing, always life-giving. It removes the stuff in your life that might be clogging up or choking the flow of the vine's life into you. can be all kinds of things, you know. Maybe it's a wound or a scar. Maybe it's self-deception. Maybe it's an integrity issue, if we look deep enough. Maybe it's a control issue, like how I, I can feel so exhausted trying to control things um, in my life, trying to control things, um, the outcome of ministry in this time of COVID. I'm, but this time of COVID just would not allow me to do that. And the more I, the harder I hang on, the harder I try to control, the more exhausted I am, that I feel. And then I get short with my husband. But, it, but the clocks could also be things that may be good in themselves, but they have so consumed you that you, have, that you are beginning or have begun to find security in them, and you have not realized that you are slowly drifting away from the vine. And with regular pruning, you'll begin to see and hear better. You'll discern more accurately. Your spiritual sensing will be sharpened, and then you will learn to pray more effortlessly, and you will know the Father's heart and His desire and His will. And then you ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. The Father is regularly pruning us individually and collectively as His church so that the life of Jesus can be more fully produced in us. So that when people taste us, they want more. And finally, only when we remain in Jesus, when we are regularly pruned, will we be able to love well. You see, we might, I mean, we know that we have to love. Being a Christian, we have to love. We want to love. But you might think that that is your first call, that is to love, but it's not. We can't love. We don't know how to love unless that love comes out of our abiding in Him. It is the kind of deep love that serves others. It's not shallow. It's not 
sentimental. It's not self-serving, whether it's serving our cause or our need for security. It is the love that, the love that stoops down to wash another's feet and one that lays down one's life for another. Because only this kind of love is the ultimate reflection of who God is. Only this kind of love truly brings healing to the world where cries for help will cease after people taste how wonderful, how juicy, how sweet the fruit is. I don't know where you are today. I don't know what you need. I don't know how you're feeling, but Jesus knows. And Jesus is inviting you to remain in Him, to abide in Him, to come to Him. Do not fear. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to, the worship team will lead us in a song. And I want to encourage you as we sing the song, take a moment to reflect how God is calling you to respond to Him. In what areas of your life are you resisting Him? What do you need to surrender today? Or maybe you just need to rest. Maybe you need to stop striving and rest. Let us pray. God, we thank you so much for your great love for us, that you want to feed us, that you want us to have life, that you want us to, to bear beautiful fruit, but not on our own strength. We confess before you that so often we, we run ahead of you. We love to run ahead of you because maybe it's easy to control things when, when we are in charge then we can control the outcome. Then we might mistakenly think that we will not be disappointed if we can control the outcome. But you know us best. And we cannot produce unless we are in you. And being in you is not just one, one more burden, one more thing that we have to do. But being in you is about rest. That you are calling us to come to you to rest, to abide and and I know from my experience that many of us have feared this idea of pruning. We fear it. We, we anticipate it. We think it will be so painful, we don't want it. And we may grow numb because of that, because we want to stay away from that. But you have called us to come and rest in you. And that pruning is part of that rest because you who love us so much, you hold us in your hands. You walk with us. And even in all that you are doing with us and for us, it's never out of wanting to punish us or to make us feel badly so that we will learn our lessons. You're not like that. You love us. You want us to have life. And so help us today to surrender to you, to take the, our hands off that steering wheel and off that brake and let you have your way in us. Amen.